Normally, I would start out with a history lesson where we'd start at the beginning and go to where we're going to talk about. But my wife reminded me, I only have a half an hour or 45 minutes. And if I did that, that generally takes 15 minutes in and of itself. So we'll go ahead and we'll get started. Um, I'm going to do the right thing. We're going to say a quick word of prayer before we get into Joshua chapter 4. Say, Dear Lord, Heavenly and Gracious Father, Father, we thank you and we praise you for this night. We pray for James and his family. What a wonderful opportunity for them to serve. And we just pray that your hands upon them, that you'll grant them traveling mercies as they come back home. And just pray that it was a blessing and an uplifting uh, time for their family. And we pray for tonight's message, Lord, that is glorifying to you and edifying to each and every one of us, Lord. And we just thank you. In your name we do humbly pray. Amen. Alright, I'm actually going to start... This is still really loud, Dustin. <laughs> I'm actually going to start in Joshua chapter 3. I'm going to pick it up in the last verse of chapter 3 before we go into chapter 4. Because it says there, Then the priests who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all of Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. Now, in my, in my uh, day-to-day life, I'm a utilities guy. I work uh, with water a lot. And one of the most amazing things, and why I wanted to pick up and start on this verse, is that little concept of dry ground. You know, the entire children of Israel walked across the Jordan on dry ground. Not mud, not muck, not mire. They walked across on dry ground. So not only did the Lord show an amazing miracle by parting the Jordan, He also dried up the ground. Because any of us that have stood in a creek, in a puddle, in a pond, in a river... The bottom of it is generally full of silt, sand, and just full of stuff that drags us down. But we serve such an amazing God that He dried up the ground so that the Ark of the Covenant could cross and His chosen people could cross on dry ground. And that just absolutely always amazes me because it's those little things. And this entire chapter, chapter 4, is filled with all of these little things that God does completely and totally on purpose. We, in this world, try to brush over so many things. We just kind of say, you know, it's just a little thing. Yeah, God parted the Jordan. Yeah, it was, it was during the harvest. It was really full. God just parted it. No big deal, and everybody just walked across. But he made the ground dry, and the ark walked across, stops in the middle, and all the children of Israel cross over. You know, that's a pretty, that's a pretty amazing God. This is a pretty amazing thing that God does. And tonight, in chapter 4, the children of Israel are children of Israel are challenged to memorialize what God has done and given a challenge on how 
to make sure that the next generation doesn't forget what they've done. So, in chapter 4 it says, And it came to pass, when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take yourself twelve men of the people, one man from every tribe, and command them, saying, Take for yourself twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood. You shall carry them over with you, and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men, whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark, the, um, the ark of the Lord your God, in the midst of the Jordan. And each one of you take a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask you in times to come, saying, What are these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Then it crossed over the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so just as Joshua had commanded and took up 12 stones for, from the midst of the Jordan as the Lord had spoke to Joshua according to the number of tribes of the children of Israel and carried them over to the place where they lodged and they laid them down there. Then Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan in a place where the feet of the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood. And they are there to this day. So, you know, we have, we have, the, we have the Ark, you know. And I think it's amazing um, that a couple of the commentators that I read on this pointed out how many times in chapter 3 and chapter 4 God mentions the Ark. And how the ark and the priest had to put their feet in the water first for the waters to part. And then the ark had to stay in the midst of the Jordan while the people, while the children of Israel crossed over the Jordan. And you think about this. Um, you know, it wasn't an individual man that, that parted the waves. It was the ark. The priests led the children of Israel. And my favorite thing about the Ark of the Covenant has to be what sits on top of the Ark. I love the fact of what the Lord had the children of Israel put in the Ark. But when I tell the kids and when I talk to the kids, I'm always reminding the kids of the two cherub that sit on the top of the Ark of the Covenant. And that there sits the mercy seat. Where God sits and rests. And on that day of atonement, that one time a year, that one and only time when the high priest would be given the opportunity, the right to go into that Holy of Holies, when he would sacrifice and pay that atoning sacrifice for all of the sins of the children of Israel. And if there was sin in his life, he died instantly and they drug him out with a rope. But there in the midst... Of those two cherubim 
is the mercy seat where God rested. I mean, we serve an amazing God who never lets us down. He is always going before us. The Ark of the Covenant sat in the midst of the Jordan for the children of Israel to pass by. I mean, up to this point, now, and one of the commentators even pointed out that they still had to honor the Ark of the Covenant. They still couldn't go up and just touch it. It wasn't like the little Buddha doll that you rub its little head and you just say, oh, isn't this cute? No, this was, their, this was our God that did an amazing miracle and they passed by it to cross over into the promised land. And probably the best commentary I read on this was talking about those 12 stones that were left in the middle of the Jordan. So, going back last week, I didn't get a chance to listen to Jonathan's message, but I'm sure he pointed out that this was harvest time. So the Jordan, normally at this time, would have been outside of its banks. As full as the Jordan could be. Okay? God holds the Jordan back. Okay? Dry ground. So the children of Israel take 12 stones and put a memorial in the middle of the river. And Wearsby in his commentary made the point that they were changing their lives at that point. They were crossing over into a new era for the children of Israel. This is what everything had been set up for. Okay, we go back. See, I'm going to do it. And I don't even... And Emmeline's laughing at me because she knows this is her dad. We go back to Abraham. God chose Abraham because he wanted to choose Abraham because he had faith. He made Abraham an amazing promise. This whole thing was set up for this moment in time to get the children of Israel into the promised land. He was there with them in Egypt. Got them out of Egypt into the wilderness. Listened and, and, and was faithful. Even though the children of Israel tried to screw up so many times in the wilderness. One of my favorite things to always point out to the kids is when Moses is up on the mountain and he's writing down the Ten Commandments and God talks to him and says, I'm going to wipe them out. I'm going to wipe them out. Moses pleads for him. Moses Moses doesn't convince God. God wasn't going to wipe them out. It was a test for Moses. But Moses comes down off the mountain and loses his temper and breaks the Ten Commandments looks at his brother and goes, what are you doing? Hey, I don't know. We threw all the gold in the fire and poof, out comes a cow. And so we just decided to worship the cow. And I always love to point out, because that sounds so ridiculous. But yet, here in a little bit, we're going to find out that the children of Israel take this as another opportunity to start losing their mind. Because God is so amazing. God took care of them. For 40 years in the wilderness, they were supposed to go to the promised land 40 years before this. But they decided that they were too scared. And they didn't want to face the giants because they didn't trust God. But 40 years later, when their clothes still hadn't worn out, their shoes still hadn't worn off their feet, now they get to enter in to what God had promised them. And this was going to change the nation forever. This was going to change this people. 
Because this is the area in which God had laid forth for the children of Israel to be their home and to worship God and to be part of, to be part of something amazing for the rest of time. So we carry on. And I don't even remember where I left off. I left off here in in verse 10. So the priests who bore the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished. That the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. And the people hurried and crossed over. And had complete, and uh, people had completely crossed over. And the ark of the Lord and the priests crossed over. In the presence of the people, and the men of Reuben, and the men of Gad, and half of the tribe of Manasseh crossed over, armed before the children of Israel, as Moses had spoken to them, about 40,000 prepared for war, crossed over before the battle, or crossed over before the Lord for battle, the plans uh, to the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all of Israel. And they feared him as they had feared Moses all the days of his life. Then the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Command the priests who bear the ark of the Testament to come up from the Jordan. Joshua therefore commanded the priests, saying, Come up from the Jordan. And it came to pass, when the priests who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord had come in the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priest's feet touched the dry land, that the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all of its banks as before. Now the people came up from the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month. They camped in Gilgal uh, on the eastern borders of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. Then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over the Jordan on dry ground. The Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you, until you had crossed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until he had crossed over. Then all the people of earth may know the hand of the Lord that is, is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. All right. So, they carried the ark. Okay. So we have the two piles of stones. Now I want to touch, I want to go back, I want to go back to these two piles of stones. So you have this one pile. We have one pile that, that shows, um, shows the change in the children of Israel. One of the commentators pointed out, it's very similar to what Christ did for each one of us. You know, Christ, as we entered into fellowship with Jesus Christ, we changed. We no longer, we took off our old self. And we became new. We became baptized in the waters of, the, of Christ and our new creation. You know, here, the children of Israel will, should never go back. They should never go back to what they used to have. They should always want to be moving forward to that second pile. That second pile that, that 
is supposed to stand as a testament. And this is where, this is where we have a challenge. Um, one of the largest challenges I've ever had to face in my life has been being a father. And how challenging it is every single day to realize that there are other people that count on you, that you are required to make sure that their needs are met and that they are moving forward and you're praying for them. And as they grow up, you know, I, I very vividly remember the days. And every time, every time you see a baby, those memories come back. Because now my little girl, my little girl who's now horribly embarrassed because she decided to sit in the sanctuary tonight. My little girl is now going to graduate from high school. I remember the days. I remember the hours upon hours, the sleepless nights, the crying. I remember those days, those days when they were so tiny and so young, when they, knew not, when they had no understanding of what was going on. But they wanted to be fed or they wanted to close, they, whatever their needs were. And they grow up and they become toddlers. And as they become toddlers, we think, oh my gosh, they run around, they'll never stop moving. This has got to be the busiest times of our lives because they move everywhere. And they're constantly doing everything all the time. And then they keep growing and all of a sudden one day they open the door and you realize that they have become Young adults, and you change your conversations with them. And your conversations no longer are about what toys that they're playing with or what this or what that. But it's now, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? And how is this going to be? And how's that going to be? I mean, I look at my, my, my son who used to be smaller than me and used to be shorter than me. That one day looked at me and said, Dad, I'm taller than you. And I looked at my son and I said, but I will always be bigger than you. <laughs> and you always need to remember that. Because that's what my dad told me all those years ago, is that, listen, I will still take you down. So we, we are given the task as parents to nurture, to grow, and to make sure that our children are focused on the Lord. And our prayers, as our children age, our prayers change. Our prayers change from, please, Lord, let them sleep through the night. Please, Lord, let them survive till the morning. Please, Lord, let them get through this soccer game. To then our prayers change to, please, Lord, Lord, just, just make sure their heart's focused on you. Let them trust in your will. Let them trust in your ways. Help, just help us to always be pointing them to you. Help us always make sure that they know what they're supposed to do. And that they are asking you and that they are, they are convicted by your spirit. Because you're the only way. And please, Lord, let me make sure that I didn't screw up too much today. Or make too bad of an example for them. But help them to realize that I'm going to be humble and come before you and say I screwed up today. And say I messed up. And I lost my temper. Or I did this or I did that. But please, Lord, just please put them on the path. Let them be servants for you. And that's the challenge, because the children of Israel are given this same challenge. The children of Israel are told, all right, we're going to set these stones up. We're going to set 12 stones, one stone for each tribe. And every time you see these stones, every time you tell your children, tell your children what an amazing God you serve. 
And that this God that you get the opportunity to serve protected you. Protected each one of us. They got us out of slavery. Got us out of the wilderness and granted us a promised land. And we get the opportunity to serve him. And you know what, children? There's 12 more stones. There's 12 more stones right out in the middle of that Jordan. And we can't see him because that was our old life. And now we're a new creation And we don't have to worry about that old life because now we're focused on our new life. Our new life serving God, worshiping God, and moving forward with God. And that's what we're supposed to do. And that's what the children of Israel were supposed to do. But you know what happens? What happened to the children of Israel is what always happens when we decide to take our eyes off the Lord. It isn't but a few more books later... That in the book of Hosea, in the book of Hosea, in chapter 4, verse 15, again in chapter 9, verse 15, and in chapter 12, verse 11, Hosea is warning the children of Israel to stop worshiping in Gilgal, to go back to worshiping where they're supposed to be worshiping, which is in Jerusalem where the temple is. But instead, the children of Israel are going back to the rock. I mean, this is just such the epitome of the world we live in. And such an epitome of of how, if you take your focus off of what's important, if you don't make sure that you're passing on full information, you miss the message. You miss the point that's supposed to be carried on. And we see it. It happens. I, I used to love, I used to absolutely love the game telephone. I used to love the game telephone. Because it was always amazing to look at children and see how they could take the door is brown and the next thing you know, the sun is purple with a pink cow. I mean, they miss the point. You miss a word, you miss a sentence, you miss a statement and next thing you know, it's all jumbled up. And the focus is all wrong. The children of Israel had one job, to make sure that it was passed on, to make sure the information was going to the next generation. But instead, they had a pile of rocks. And they were going back to the pile of rocks. And they're worshiping at the pile of rocks. I mean, we have to realize in our lives, we got to realize it's really easy to lose our focus and get back on the pile of rocks. Because, you know... I don't know. I like rocks. It's one of the things I really do. And if you go out to the driveway right now, and I was going to do this because my mom always told me whenever I talked in front of people, I never know what to do with my hands. And since my mom's here, I can say this because she's probably laughing at me because the fact I never know what to do with my hands. So I was going to grab a rock tonight. I was going to have a rock, but then I figured I'd accidentally throw the rock at Christian. And then it wouldn't be a good thing because, well, you're the one, hey, Hey, oh, come on. Why not, brother? Hey, I didn't bring a rock. All right, but if we go out to this driveway, we go out to the driveway, and most of the rocks on the driveway are quarry rocks. What's a quarry rock? A quarry rock came out of a, a, came out of a hole in the ground. How did they get it out of the hole in the ground? Usually they used dynamite. They broke 
up big slabs of rock. So we go out here, and every rock out there, not every rock, but most of the rocks out there are going to be jagged. They're going to have rough edges. They're going to be hard, okay? And that's what you want for a parking lot. You want traction. You want it to be hard. You want it. But when you take a rock out of the river, and I was, th- I was thinking about this with these 12 stones, okay? These weren't little stones. They put them on their shoulder, okay? Even though we know the children of Israel were not huge guys, it's still a pretty big rock. It's a pretty big rock to put on your shoulder, to carry across. Oh, and tidbit of information, they camped like eight miles away from the river that night. So the ch- these, these 12 guys carried these stones away, okay? But they carried these stones. River stones are not jagged. River stones are not rough. River stones have been washed, they've been beat on, and they've been the edges rounded. And the thing that I'm always amazed by river stones, and if you guys have ever had the opportunity to be around a river that floods, it's very powerful, and can pick up these boulders and move them wherever it wants to move them, because it is powerful. It can wash them, it can scour them, it can round them, okay? Now, we, the children of Israel, are setting up these round stones. Stones that anybody that sees these stones are going to know these stones. Twelve stones, the size big enough to hold on your shoulder. Twelve stones <coughs> carried and placed in the, as a monument, okay? Rounded edges, okay? This is what we're supposed to be as Christians. We're not supposed to be jagged. We're not supposed to be really hard. But we're supposed to let the Lord work on us. We're supposed to let the, wor- the Lord convict us and take away those, those hard edges. As we begin to grow, as we continue to grow, I'm always amazed. A stone can start out so jagged, so rough. My wife loves to collect, um, I don't even know what they call it, the beach glass. The glass that fell into a, a, a lake that was jagged, it was sharp. And then it comes out, and the edges are smooth. You know, time takes away those sharp edges. Early in our lives, when we're not Christians, there's a lot of jagged edges. We have a lot of sin. We have a lot of things that we thought we were doing right. And we find out we're doing them wrong. We find out we're screwing up. But the Lord never gives up. Rocks don't break apart and fall away. They break into smaller rocks. Big rocks get broken down. The Lord never gives up on any one of us. And I think that's the most amazing thing. And if I have one takeaway from this tonight, and I still have like 15 minutes so I can keep going. This is awesome. I love the fact that I have a clock. This is great. This is probably when I find out the clock is wrong. At least you laugh tonight. But the thing I want you guys to remember, we serve a God, we worship a God that takes our rough edges, he takes our mistakes, and he works them, and he massages them, and he keeps grinding them. And when we think we're there, he tells us we're not, and he challenges us to go deeper. He challenges us to grow stronger. He challenges us to focus more on Him. 
Life has a way of trying to drag us down, trying to get our focus off. John Haney once told me years ago, and this is one of those things that has always stuck with me, because John Haney has these wonderful little phrases every now and then. And John's going, what did I tell you? <laughs> no. <laughs> I love you, John. I'm not going to throw a rock at you. Oh, Christian, you know. <laughs> yes, for everybody in Radio Land, I do love Christian. Solid brother. But no, John Haney once told me that if you put too many irons in your fire, eventually your fire is going to go out. Some point in time, you got to look at what irons you have in your fire. Because the Lord's ta- challenging us. We have things, we have commitments, we have activities that have a tendency to pile up on us. And a lot of times, specifically when your children get busier and busier, we focus so many times on those activities and those things. But we also got to remember that the Lord's using them. They're using them every single day as an opportunity for us to be a witness for Him. Those rocks, those activities, those challenges that we face, everybody around us is watching us. Everybody's trying to see us. I didn't really realize this until today, sitting at lunch. I was sitting at lunch today, and I was trying to find time to prepare. So I had two commentaries, and I was sitting in the lunchroom. I didn't even think about what I was doing. It just made sense. I had an extra hour, so I'm sitting there. I had a couple Bibles out. I'm writing some notes down. And two of the guys at work looked at me and said, so what are you doing? I'm like, huh? I'm I'm reading. I'm writing some notes down. Why? And they were like, well, why? I'm like, because I have to teach tonight. They were like, teach tonight? And then the conversation opened up, and I didn't even realize, but they were watching some silly something on television about vampires, and I made the comment, and the one guy looked at me and said, you know, I don't believe any of that stuff's real. I said, really? Because I said, I know the devil is pretty crafty. And I said, there's a stupid TV show that millions of people right now are watching about something that's really stupid and is taking people away from their focus on the Lord. But if I stood up in the middle of this break room or I stood up in the middle of a meeting and said, you know what? You all need Jesus. And we all need to hit our knees and pray for, the, for each and every one of us because we're wretched sinners and we need a Savior. And you all would escort me out and tell me, thank you very much. But yet, the world is focused on all this chaos right now. And we love, it seems, chaos. We love drama. And we love all of this stuff. And we miss what we need. We need that, that smooth edge. That rounding Savior that's taking our sin away. We need that. We need that every day. We need to be broken every day. We need to realize what it is that we do and what we're doing and how we're doing it. Because we screw up every single day of our lives. And we try. And each day we try to get better and we try to focus more. And then the one day that we think we got it, we look in the mirror and we realize we screwed it all up. Or we realize that somebody else said something and 
just like the light switch. We lost our temper. We said the wrong thing. And the next thing we know, there we are. And the conviction hits us. And I think that it is amazing how much God cares for us. I mean, He cared for the children of Israel so much that when the priests led them, they got to walk across on dry ground. Loved them enough to tell them to go get stones and build a monument. And he loved them enough to still, even though, even though at the beginning of time, or in Genesis chapter 3, in Genesis chapter 3, he knew at that moment in time, his son was going to have to come and be crucified on a cross for each and every one of us. That we were going to screw things up so bad that his son was going to have to step in and save us. And we were going to treat his son so badly that he would be marred beyond recognition, he'd be beaten beyond recognition, and then he'd be thrown on a cross and treated like a common criminal. And he did it for us. He did it for each and every one of us before we were even a glimmer or a blink in anybody's eye. He did that. And that is the thing that convicts me all the time. And I think about this. We have a whole world where we we interact with people who say they're Christians. They wear the right thing. They I love the fact, and I remember a pastor saying one time, uh, and, and this is nothing against people that wear crosses on their neck, but would you ever walk around with a, an electric chair around your neck? No. But in Jesus' time, basically, we're walking. Jesus's the cross was an execution. Nobody'd walk around with an electric chair, worshiping the fact that somebody died or was executed in an electric chair. But what we miss, we sometimes, so many people miss the point. They're too focused on the item, and they miss the point. And the point is those 12 rocks still in the middle of the Jordan to this day as a remembrance that the old is gone and the new has come and a new life is ushered in. And each one of us has left that pile of rocks in in the river and we've come to a new faith and a new life in Jesus. And so I challenge each one of us to always be mindful That we're leaving the old in the river where it belongs. And we're focused on making sure that we're shining the light. That we're a light in this dark world. And we are constantly pointing people to Jesus in our talk, our actions, and everything we do and say. Because that's what we're challenged to do. And it's the hardest thing for us to do. Because it's so easy. It's so easy just to let it go. But it's such a bigger challenge to stand firm and to let those rough edges go and to let the Lord smooth us over and let us let Him break us down into what He wants us to be, which is an amazing Christian serving Him each and every day. All right, let's go ahead. We're going to close up with a word of prayer, and I'll let you guys go. Dear Lord, heavenly and gracious Father, 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 we are so grateful. We are so grateful for your love. 
for your grace and for your mercy. For the fact that you, you never, ever, ever give up on us, Lord. We mess up so many times and so often, and you are always there with that great big giant bear hug to give us and to say it's all right and to come back in and to be part of the family and to try again the next time. And Lord, I am so grateful for that. I am so grateful for your, the amazing, awesome power that you have. And Father, we again, we pray for James and for Dawn and those boys. As they travel back across, Lord, we just pray that you would just keep your hand of protection upon them, Lord. We pray that this has been an amazing time. An amazing time for them to be renewed, refreshed, and growing closer to you. And we just ask that you will just continue to give them, put that hedge of protection around them, and bring them back safe, Lord. And I just pray for each one of us here, Lord, that you go before each one of us. You keep us safe, Lord. You help us conquer those, those little problems, those things that take us away from you, those stumbling blocks that draw us further away from your grace and your mercy. And we just pray. I pray for each one of us that we can just hold to you, cling to you, grab your feet, and just never let go. Because you are the, you're the only thing that matters. The rest of this world is all just junk and we just need you and we need to cling to you father and i just pray for each one of us that we can just hold fast to that and i just just ask for your guidance and wisdom and always lord in your name we do humbly pray amen all right thank you guys very much and you have a wonderful blessed night